This episode of Aquademia is sponsored by Steen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we got something a little bit different. Wouldn't say this is quite a tech innovation episode, but it's definitely technology heavy. Uh, but it is technology that's been around for a little while and is just getting more... Um, more and more utilized in processing plants, and that is Ozone. We are speaking with John Brandt, who is the CEO of Ozone International, and he tells us all about Ozone and how it's used to be used as a disinfectant and, and help with uh, food preservation. So fascinating. I learned a ton. It's a really so good, interesting. really good stuff. And before we get into that, make sure that you are subscribed to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts. So every time a new episode comes out, it is automatically downloaded onto your device without any effort from you. And follow us on social. We are on Twitter at Aquademia Pod. If you want to contact us, fill out the online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you like what we're doing and you want to help spread the word about us, leave our podcast a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. It helps us out so much. So we would love it if you did that. That's right. Enjoy this conversation we had with John and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we're sitting down today with John Brandt, who is the CEO of Ozone International. John, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to do this. We're excited to have you on because we're going to be talking about something today that I don't think any of us have really thought about until your company reached out to us. Um, Ozone International sent us an email using the contact form, which we talk about in the beginning and end of every episode. So if you want to contact us the same way, make sure you do that. They use that contact form to reach out to us and say, hey, have you ever talked on the show about using ozone as a food preservative or bing, bang, boom, all these other things that it's great for? And I said, no, we haven't talked about that. That's kind of a different uh, approach to our episodes that we haven't looked at yet. So really excited to have John on here to talk about not only Ozone International, his company, but also ozone in general and how it can be used to benefit our colleagues here in the seafood industry. But before we do that, John, I want to get a little information about you kind of what's your story quick rundown of who you are and how you got to where you are now boy i uh i started ozone international in 2003 uh here on bainbridge island outside of seattle uh i was actually a professional baseball player kind of a flunky uh i got asked to stop playing and so i did that (laughs) and wasn't really prepared for the real world and uh had an idea to uh, start this ozone company, which in hindsight is a crazy idea, Uh, but uh, the company was formed in 2003, and we've been operating now for about 18, 19 years uh, outside of Seattle, and have a pretty much exclusive focus on food processing in general, uh, with the seafood industry playing a big role in that. I have two questions from just from that. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to bring up any bad memories or anything, yeah, but okay. how do, I mean, how does it feel to be doing something as a career and then be basically told that 
you're not going to be able to do this anymore? I know that's a hard question to start off with, and no, I'm sorry about that. No, it's a really good question because you don't see that a lot in most professions. And well, this the, since you brought it up yourself and and said it in that way, I thought it was safe to ask that question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I it, it was actually a blessing in disguise. I was. Uh, marginally good enough to to play in the minor leagues, but I was going to be riding around on a bus for 10 years trying to make it. So I kind of ripped the Band-Aid off uh, and uh, it ended very abruptly. I think that actually, that experience actually influenced um, at least the next 10 or 15 years of my life to have something that really was so central uh, and have it have it taken away. So it took a little bit of time to understand the damage that that can cause. Uh, but it also uh, helped me appreciate, you know, Ozone International and uh, maybe clinging to it a little too tightly at times mm. uh, to, you know, in fear that that's going to happen again. But uh, overall, it was a it was a healthy experience. It was painful at the time, but uh, but necessary. I imagine it gave you some shrapnel, too. Right. So like you you have you've had this experience so like when other experiences down the road that for other people might be a little bit more i don't want to say damaging but a little bit um, more difficult for them you know you have some tools to handle it because you've been through something like that already yeah i think so um certainly it prepared me for running a small company and in the food industry introducing a new technology in the food industry um there's a ton of adversity uh that one can go through uh, and we certainly have had uh, you know a long history of that and being able to identify it and uh, I guess metabolize it uh, when it's when it's uh, right in front of you is a skill that was developed. You kind of have to go through that experience, uh, or I had to go through that experience in order to to know how to deal with that. So it has helped me in running the company, in the leadership role, uh, in my own personal life uh, when when tough things arise and they seemingly always do of course yeah so my my second well, justin question is a oh. diehard lifelong mariners fan so i think <laughs> you guys might be might have some things in common yeah i get a lot of flack especially <laughs> living in new england where we've had you know a century of baseball lovers of the boston red sox and then i have, I have relatives that live in seattle which is why as a kid i would go out there and watch the mariners you know be subpar for 20 plus years <laughs> but anyways yeah I, I didn't want to get into this part of the conversation just yet, but I guess maybe it's 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 kind of relevant. So not to go back again to your your ba- professional baseball career, but were you in uh, the minor leagues located out west, and that's why your company is located in outside of Seattle? Uh, I was. So I played in in a ball in Eugene, uh, Oregon, which was a great little town to to play baseball in. But uh, the reason it was started on Bainbridge Island was actually that was a place that my family and I grew up going. Uh, there was a small ozone company that was up here operating in the late 1990s and early 2000s, uh, which I took interest in. Uh, my dad had taken interest in it. And so that's really where sort of I cut my teeth and learned from a guy named Bill Nelson uh, back in 2003 how ozone worked and how applicable it was in food if you could use it correctly. That was actually my next question. You kind of answered it for me. I was curious how... The- <laughs> How you go from professional baseball to ozone? That just that was a you know I I, I couldn't make that connection, but you kind of just answered that for me. But if you want to elaborate on that anymore, no, I don't have a good answer for you. <laughs> I, I I I don't know how I got uh, how that found me, um, but it did speak to me at the time. I think I was really interested 
in my early years of you know building a, a company, um, not really knowing what that meant or what that entailed, um, and it evolved once I understood what ozone could and could not do. Uh, it evolved into um, you know more of a focus on on what was possible with this business and uh, looking at you know other other companies in the industry that were passionate about the molecule, uh, but had really struggled to figure out how to make this stick within the food processing industry. And so as we go on, I'll talk a little bit about how, how we did that, because uh, I think that was really critical to our long-term um, survival. Okay. So let's dial it back. And you talked about how you learned how ozone works from this mentor. And I'm curious if you can try to describe to an average person who is in the seafood industry and knows that, you know, food preservation is, of course, very important, but doesn't know how ozone relates to it. Can you try to describe how it relates to the seafood industry in an easily understandable way for people who might not be science minded like myself and Justin? Yeah. So the, the first thing to understand is what ozone actually is. And ozone is a molecule that's O3. Uh, it comes mostly usually derived from a molecule that's always around us, which is O2 or oxygen. Uh, and it's essentially just a rearranged oxygen molecule. You add a third oxygen atom uh, to, to oxygen. So now you've got O3. And that's a gas. Ozone is a gas, just like oxygen is a gas that we breathe. And so we build machines that turn oxygen in the air into ozone, this molecule, uh, in a gas form. And then we either use that molecule in its gaseous form in a production environment or a food storage environment, um, or we inject it into water. And, and so we create what we call ozonated water. And uh, ozone, ozonated water is a really a, a processing aid and when you look at the seafood industry, there's all different types of seafood processors from, um, you know, from whole, you know, fresh fish processing, distribution locations. You have people that do fully cooked product or smoking. Uh, you've got RTE type uh, operations with, uh, you know, you, you see that a lot with lobster or shrimp or crab. So depending on the nature of how uh, a processing plant is intended to operate, that molecule, ozone, can be delivered either as a gas or in a liquid form. And it's got a couple of different objectives. What we're really trying to do is disinfect either surfaces or uh, the product itself to lower bacteria and pathogen levels. So we're trying to kill bacteria and pathogens so that the product is either safer for consumption uh, or it will have less bacteria, which is the root cause of spoilage. And so it allows, if we start with less bacteria on a finished product, say a filet, then that filet will, in, if all things are the same between a treated and an untreated filet, or one that comes from a treated facility versus untreated facility, that product will inherently last longer. It takes longer for the bacteria to grow, longer for the odor to show up, uh, and so we're really a food safety, food quality company. That's what ozone, the molecule is. There are all sorts of other applications for it, but I think that's where the ozone industry has struggled over the past is it's you know cast its net uh, a little too broadly 
Uh, and so the key is understanding what it does well, what it can do safely. Uh, and when that ozone molecule comes into contact with bacteria, it releases that third O, right? And, and that O goes and oxidizes bacteria or pathogens, and you're left with O2, which is oxygen. So there's no trace of it. So it basically just reverts back to its original form, uh, which allows you to use it directly on food or in drinking water or bottled water uh, or in processing water. You can use it for sanitation and it's a neutral pH and just goes back to oxygen. So we kind of kind of comes full circle by the time you use it. And um, yeah, that's that's primarily how it works in a food processing plant. Is this process been around for a while? I mean, I, don't, I haven't heard of it before and I was just sounds really intriguing. I'm curious how long it's been around for. I'm not a I'm not a great ozone, you know, true historian. <laughs> I believe that that Nicholas Tesla invented or discovered ozone a long, long time ago. They started using ozone predominantly in water treatment for drinking water. So there's a lot of municipalities that use ozone for drinking water disinfection. Um, and I guess one of the unique properties of ozone is it doesn't last very long. So you can't put it in a, you know, a traditional you know, chemical drum and ship it to a food processor like you can with chlorine or uh, PAA or something. So we're actually making it on site uh, and uh, it, it dissipates very, very quickly. So because it's a, this fragile molecule, it also makes it a very aggressive molecule. It works very quickly. It, it's more comfortable as oxygen than ozone. So after the drinking water industry, you started seeing it a lot in pools and spas, water parks, uh, places where you wanted continuous treatment, but you didn't want whoever was engaging with that medium to um, have to deal with some of the undesirable effects of, say, chlorination or maybe some other chemicals that were traditionally used. That's how it gained sort of a more mainstream foothold. Uh, and then companies like ours came around and said, okay, well, if you can use it for drinking water, what can you do at more aggressive concentrations, either as a gas or in water, to disinfect food products? And that's really where the ozone industry began for food processing in the mid-1990s. Uh, and then you saw a lot of these smaller companies pop up saying, you know, we can build ozone machines and sell them to food processors, which came with its own set of challenges um, because ozone machines break. You know, they, they're, they're complex. So. So that that was another question that came up to me is your product you sell the machines we used to you used to so so what is your product now how is what is what is your process yeah so we uh, talking about some of the adversity that we faced uh, so we learned pretty quickly on that a ozone machines break uh, and b customers don't actually want an ozone machine food processors don't want the ozone machine they actually want the outcome that the ozone machine is intended to provide. So we moved from being in the business of providing the device and saying, here, you buy this and call us when it breaks, to saying, why don't we get in the business of providing them the outcomes that they're looking for? Uh, and so what that meant was instead of selling them a machine, um, we started essentially providing them a service. And uh, that service was Ozone International owning the machine, putting it at the customer's site, um, providing a, we, we learned that if you're going to do that, you better have some people around the country that can take care of these machines. So we had to build a national team of service technicians. And then we found that um, that was really attractive to food processors. They didn't have to come up with a large amount of money. 
They didn't have to, you know, depend on whether this or hope that this ozone machine was going to run safely and effectively for a long period of time. They had a partner, a service provider that specialized in ozone and delivering those objectives uh, that would, you know, do this for them. And so with that, as there was this uptick in demand, we tell some old funny stories about, you know, I used to drive around California and I would show up at a customer site and I would listen to hear if the ozone machine was running, because if it was running, I knew it hadn't broken while I was gone. And when I would show up, if it was still running, we were good. And if it wasn't still running, it was bad. And so uh, that came sort of the uh, integration of the internet uh, and allowed all of these machines to be monitored continuously and recording themselves. So now they tell us when they're not running uh, so that we can do a better job of supporting our customers. That's so interesting. I feel like that takes a lot of self-reflection to be like, okay, our company is providing this product for people and it seems like they would actually prefer something else. So that's really interesting pivot that you did. And I feel like that must have been a difficult decision and figuring out new challenges that come along with that. Yeah, it was actually my dad's idea. My my dad said, you know, you're struggling to sell these expensive devices. Why don't we just rent them to them? And when we started doing that, I said, okay, that sounds like a great idea. We started doing that. Then we realized, wait a sec, when it doesn't work, we're on the hook for that. So we need to be in, you know, Arkansas and California and Maine simultaneously. And so it kind of opened our eyes to a whole different approach uh, that really was the inflection point for our business. I've seen that model be used before, actually, when I was in my last job was uh, in a zebrafish lab doing biomedical research uh, at a hospital. And um, our system was basically, I, I think it was like rented, just like, the, you know, they came in, they built a whole system, all the racks with all the tanks and everything and the whole water quality life support system. And then we had our one rep from that company that would come like once a week and he would come and do any maintenance that needed to happen and make sure everything's working. And if we had issues, we'd call him up and he'd show up like you know, he lived in town and he was right there. And it was a great thing because I didn't have the knowledge I didn't have enough knowledge of that machine to go in and make the changes that I needed to make in a situation where something needed to be fixed right away because then we could lose, you know, hundreds of thousands of fish and that means you're losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's um yeah. It's a yeah, it's a like, good model for for these types of technologies, for sure. Special specialized equipment. It's yeah. essentially the copier model yeah, that people use for yeah. For, for a copy machine, nobody knows how to work on a copy machine. No, uh, but everybody but everybody wants one or needs one, uh, and so you rely on that partner, and um, they're responsible for making all you want is the copy. You don't <laughs> want this monstrosity sitting in your you know office. You just want the outcome, and so it's a very similar you know, parallel. So, did you mention that your uh, machines now they must have some sort of uh, they must connect to? I guess we can air quotes, which no one can see because this is a podcast, but like to the cloud, like there's some sort of connectivity. So if there is a failed part at this point, you can get alerted and send out your regional representatives, I guess, to, to come take a look at them. Yeah, you essentially have, um, you know, dual way control or, or dual way communication and full control over the machine sitting right here in the office. So if we had a seafood processor in eastern Canada, which can be tricky to get to, um, and, you know, they have a certain issue, uh, we can log in and turn their concentrations up or down or on or off or, and, you know, walk through challenges real time with them, uh, because no matter who you are for us, the, you know, 
if we dispatch somebody in a truck, A, it's expensive, but B, it takes time for them to get there. And a lot mm -hmm. of these systems, when they get uh, written into you know, a HACCP program or they get written into uh, standards that the food processor says they're going to adhere to, they don't have you know, two, three, four days. We have some customers that only have a 45-day long season. So you don't have you know, three days to get there to solve their problem. You've got, you know, you're, you're measuring it, your response time in minutes, hmm. not, not in days. I want to say a quick thank you to Steen for sponsoring this episode of the Aquademia podcast. Optimizing your skinning process has various advantages regardless of your company size. In changing from manual skinning to machine skinning, your production process will speed up and deliver consistent quality. The absolute key here is that anyone can skin your fish on a Steen machine without experience and with excellent results at the same time. This makes your staff and your company more independent and more flexible for what the future brings. Changing from manual skinning to automated in or out out of the line can speed up your process to over 120 fillets per minute with an astounding yield. High yield means more profit and contributes to the fast return of investment on the Steen machinery. Next to that, they are safe to use, fast to clean, and easy to maintain. So thanks again to Steen, our technology, your solution. So you did talk about how the technology works in regard to how ozone interacts with bacteria and things like that. And, and that's why it's great for a disinfectant. And that's that's the ozonated water that you use as a disinfectant, correct? That, that is correct. Can you explain a little bit, if, if you can find a way to do it in easily understood terms, how you create the ozonated water? Is it just like you just pump gas bubbles into the water itself? And it like, how does that, how does it work? <laughs> yeah, it's essentially we're using either well or city water that is supplied by the plant. Uh, by the by the processing facility um we are we have got a machine that is sucking in outside air that's got about uh, 80% uh nitrogen 20% oxygen in it that's the air that we breathe we're getting rid of the nitrogen uh through a molecular sieve which is just a fancy word for a filter um and we keep the oxygen that we want we get rid of the nitrogen that we don't want and now we've got very concentrated oxygen, like you'd get out of a medical you know, gas mm -hmm. bottle of oxygen. And we're putting that into an ozone cell. And that ozone cell is basically just two thin plates of uh, stainless steel where we are creating a uh, electrical differential across them, for, you know, across those two plates, for lack of a better term. But we're, we're simulating what lightning does outside. So if you've ever had a, been in a lightning storm, you've gone outside, you smell that clean sort of fresh smell and it's fleeting. It doesn't last very long, but that clean, fresh smell is actually the ozone that's been produced in the air from electricity, the lightning and the air, which has the oxygen and it's producing uh, ozone. And so um, we're doing that in a captive space at very high concentrations. And then we're either taking that gas and sometimes we're pumping that gas into a food pro uh, processing facility continuously while production is running. And we're doing that with workers present at very precise levels so that we can control bacterial growth, uh, maybe listeria control, which is a big concern of uh, processors that are doing fully cooked product or smoked product. Um, but if we're putting it into water, we take that gas, which is just a very concentrated stream, and we suck it into water uh, using an injector. We mix it up. And then sort of like a Coke can, when you open up a soda can and you get the carbonation that comes off, we get rid of that undesirable carbonation or uh, undissolved ozone gas because we don't want that. We want the gas that kind of 
dissolves into water that you can't see all that well. And that water then is this, for lack of a better term, supercharged water. It's charged with ozone. And that water, which looks like regular old water, is now used as your processing aid. And they will uh, use it for uh, pieces of equipment that build up with bacteria throughout the day. So you see that a lot with skinners, uh, fillet machines, uh, conveyor belts, maybe some of the cutting tables that guys uh, and gals use to cut fish on. Um, or they might spray it directly onto the product. Uh, and when they spray it directly on the product, they're targeting those spoilage bacteria that are in the uh, typically housed on the exterior of fish, in the gill plates of fish that can get onto surfaces, the slime that comes in with fish naturally. Uh, and so we're targeting that to disinfect it, render those bacteria dead and unable to replicate and try to lower that bacteria level on the product. And that's what makes the product last longer. This is kind of a random question that's just my own personal curiosity. What's the percentage breakdown between how much ozonated water is used versus ozone in the gaseous form? So which is more common and then which are used for different processes in a processing plant? Yeah, that's a good question. So within the seafood industry, uh, the majority of customers use ozone water. Uh, and because of they're, they're mostly uh, fresh fish producers, uh, ready to eat uh, seafood producers that are looking to control listeria. So I would say in seafood, it's 95% ozone water. In other markets, uh, other food industries, uh, say for example, fruit fruit and vegetable processing, it's probably the inverse of that. So it just, it just depends on the market that we're serving. Uh, but within seafood, um, you know, if you walk into a seafood processing facility, every conveyor, every cutting blade, anywhere that you're seeing that accumulation throughout the day, um, that's where ozone is being directed. Uh, and then obviously directly onto the product. And I would say that's the majority of what our seafood processors and seafood distributors uh, use ozone for. Is it pretty widely used? Um, or do you think like, you know, we have a base of our listeners who, you know, are in, are in charge of uh, some of these facilities. Is it likely that they are already using this technology? Or if they're not, how difficult is it to implement this technology into their processes and their facilities? You know, Ozone International uh, is predominantly focused on uh, our customer base is predominantly North American. Uh, but I would say there's close to 200 of our customers that are seafood processors or seafood distributors uh, in the U.S. and Canada predominantly that use this technology today. Um, and yeah, so, so you know, I, I would say it's a fairly widespread uh, technology in, you know, in, in the 48 states for seafood distribution. I think it's more common in the distribution market than you see in the processing uh, market. A lot of the processors are, can be in, you know, very far reaching locations of, of the planet. Uh, and so anytime that you have specialized equipment with long distances, A, the internet is critical, uh, but, but B, um, it, it's harder to get a technology out there and get visibility out there. So, you know, even in Alaska, we probably only have 15 or 20 customers in Alaska, yet there's, you know, probably hundreds 
of seafood processing facilities in Alaska. So that adoption rate is much lower than, say, in metropolitan cities in the U.S., you're probably at, you know, close to 50 percent that use ozone uh, in some way, probably, Maddie, in in an aqueous form, uh, predominantly looking at shelf life extension, odor control. So if you use ozone in a processing plant, it doesn't smell like seafood. So some customers find that to be uh, important to them. Um, So, yeah, it just depends on which market you're talking about. Interesting. So you're predominantly in food, but do you have these machines, these devices working on anything else? Like I could see this just as you said, as like an air purifier almost that you could have in the office. Yeah. So there's a lot of, so, so there are a lot of companies that provide ozone based air purifiers or air disinfection systems. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, o, between OSHA. So you do have to, you know, ozone does not come without its, you know, its own challenges. There are limitations to how much ozone you're allowed to have in the air because people have yeah. to breathe. And so, oh yeah, that uh, right, yeah, yeah. So that's an imp- important <laughs> factor. So making sure, uh, you know, when you were asking me, how is this ozone mixed up and delivered so that it's safe? Ozone wants to come out like carbonation wants to come out of the water like carbonation does. So you have to engineer systems that uh, aren't going to do that. Meaning you don't overpressurize them. You don't, you know, use nozzles that are too small because you don't. You want the ozone to go where you want it to go and not where you don't want it to go. So when you get uh, into other areas like office buildings or, um, you know, common public spaces, there's a lot of challenges with being able to deliver ozone at a very precise level. Uh, there's, there's expense that comes with that. And oftentimes when you're looking for something that you can put in your office, it's, you know, I got this for $400 on, you know, eBay or whatever. <laughs> and it doesn't have the sophistication to have enough uh, antimicrobial properties to do the work that it needs to do, yet have enough sophistication to protect the end user. It's a lot of, you know, turning a dial, uh, maybe put it on a timer. And so I think those are those are great examples of when we, when you can get outside of the boundaries that, you know, where ozone is really uniquely positioned. That's, that's the key is you want to use ozone where it's going to be uniquely advantageous and not where you could use a different a different strategy that might be safer or less expensive um, or, you know, more widely used today. Um, that's a that's a challenging proposition. So, Sean, to answer your question, you know, integrating this into a facility, um, if they already have ozone, you know, usually it's a pretty quick integration can be done in, in a day. If they don't have ozone and you need to get, you know, water from here to there to, you know, nine different locations, then there's some plumbing that has to be run. And so it can be a little more uh, involved. So, you know, you've got to have the ability to design what that plumbing system looks like. You'd be amazed at how many of our customers say, great design. When can you install it? So <laughs> now you've got to have a team that can travel and go and run plumbing and, and do work in different states or provinces. So, you know, Maddie, these are examples of sort of the evolution of the business model as you solve one problem and you realize you have to have other products or services that you offer in order to really close the loop. And again, getting back to the theme, give the customers what they want. Customers want the outcome. They want, you know, salmon that lasts 15 days instead of 11 days. They don't want a machine. They don't want to run plumbing. They don't want to take care of it. They don't want to monitor it. 
they want the outcome and they got to have a trustworthy partner that's going to deliver that, um, you know, daily for them. That's the goal. So what do you see coming down the line in the future for Ozone? You know, we talked about these tech, these kind of consumer technologies that uh, maybe aren't quite at the level of sophistication that they would need to be to be effective and safe. But what, what else do you see coming down the line or do you predict will come down the line using this technology, either from that standpoint, from like a, a consumer standpoint or from a more large organization like a like a production facility? What are some of the other uses or technologies that are going to be coming out? Well, I, I think that as long as the vendors for Ozone can do their job, meaning giving the customers what they want, that over time... Um, you have enough people now where there's a groundswell of commitment towards ozone that uh, it will endure and become, uh, you know, it's never never going to be 100%, but there are going to be more and more people that use it. Um, there are going to be more and more retailers, food service companies uh, that, that ask for it because it reduces their shrink when they're selling product at their grocery stores. Um, you know, we never really got into building devices that could be used at actual fish counters because you've got to get that footprint and that cost down so low that you start to lose some of the um, required um, components in an ozone machine to make it fit their price point and fit their needs. But I think someday a company will crack how to build a reliable ozone machine for grocery stores uh, and potentially restaurants, although their turnover is much faster. But I think you're going to see something that can be used reliably and safely um, that will reduce the shrink that retailers have. Uh, it will get rid of the odor so that, you know, as I say, when I go to the grocery store, I'm more inclined to buy fresh seafood from a clean smelling seafood department than one that really smells like seafood. Um, so I think that there's going to be a movement that way. It may take some time. I've been saying this for you know, five or 10 years now, this is not an epiphany. It's just more difficult to deliver on, uh, easier said than done. Um, there, there are some early users for home use, but again, that's now down at a couple hundred dollar device that you put on your faucet for food safety purposes. I think, you know, that's a very small minority of the population that is aware of some of the food safety benefits. And I think the, the biggest challenge and why you know, opportunities like this for Ozone International and for the industry are so important. There's just not a lot of, uh, it's very difficult for a small company. You know, I don't, I don't have a social media presence. I don't even know how to, you know, you were joking about posting a picture on social media. That would probably be the first uh, of me mm -hmm. on social media because they just don't exist. And it's very difficult to gain that, you know, widespread uh, awareness. Uh, so I think we need to hire, you know, a uh, some sort of pop star, maybe one of the Kardashians or somebody will come and talk about ozone. But it, I, in, in all, all seriousness, how, how to gain that visibility to the consumer? Because most consumers, if you told them about this, would nod their head and say, I think this is probably a good thing. Yeah. I... But that consumer awareness is very difficult for small businesses to um, responsibly go out there and um, achieve. Well, you're doing the right thing by being on this podcast for one. <laughs> and uh, Taking that first step, people are going to start asking you to be that person, just so you know, now that you know <laughs> yeah. us. We'll hook you up with an Instagram account and then uh, you'll be off in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to show me how to do it. I don't, I don't know how. Yeah. That's Maddie's yeah, job. Yeah, that's Maddie, that's that. she, she knows that better than any of us. 
Well, Sean, you did ask about the future. Before we get into people contacting you if they want to learn more, is there anything else, John, that you want to get out there while you have this platform? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, I, I would encourage um, I would in, encourage people to, if they, if they think that, um, you know, extending shelf life or food safety uh, is, you know, something where there's a gap between where they want to be and where they are, uh, I would encourage the, uh, them to investigate. Um, and I, I would just say, and, and I wish this was maybe a, a, a broader theme within food processing in general, I wish that there were more vendors uh, that, you know, they rely, that they had to rely on the performance of what they were delivering on an ongoing basis instead of selling devices. There's a lot of devices that are sold to food processors and they're, the food processors are left to sift and sort through various vendors and figure out which one's going to work well. And then that vendor four years from now isn't around or can't support it. Uh, and now they've, they haven't gotten what they thought they were going to get. And so um, as a theme, I would like to challenge the food processing industry to, you know, really hold vendors accountable for um, providing an ongoing benefit if they're going to, as opposed to selling a device. I don't believe that ozone machines should be sold. Uh, I believe they should be used and paid for as they're used because people's needs change, vendors change all the time, uh, people in the facility change. There's just constant change. So you don't want to get locked in. Uh, to something like that. And uh, I, I guess the other thing is just to be aware that technology evolves. And so if you've had a, a bad ozone experience, there's a lot, we're seeing less of that these days than we saw 10 years ago. If I went into a meeting 10 years ago, there was always someone sort of looking down the you know bridge of their nose at me and I knew who they were. They had had a bad ozone experience from the early days. And so I would I would encourage them to hold that experience a little more loosely and um, just investigate and see if it's a good fit because it's not. It's not always a good fit, and people need to be aware of that too. Well said. That's great advice, and we can definitely identify with that feeling of past preconceived notions about past bad experiences. That definitely comes up a lot in the seafood industry, especially in farmed seafood. Yeah, well, because that, and my guess is is that you know in the farmed market you're seeing. You know, this is really the genesis of that market. If we look back 20, 30 years from now, we're still in its, in its infancy. And so there's a lot of trial and error. And there are technologies that are uh, either going to be touted or discarded because of individual experiences. And it's not always the technology itself. It's, you know, the ability. So it's not, you know, in our situation, it's not ozone the molecule's fault that somebody was exposed to too much ozone 15 years ago, or it didn't extend shelf life, or it didn't do this or didn't do that, or the machine always broke. It wasn't the molecule's fault. It was the approach. It was the business model. It was the vendor. Um, it was the knowledge around that that is so key. And my guess is you'll see a lot of that in aquaculture as well. Things that people have discarded or had bad experiences with might come back around because there was something there. It just wasn't delivered correctly. It's a great take. It's interesting. So, John, if people want to get in contact with you to learn more about Ozone International and uh, maybe how they can be involved or if they want to be a customer or anything like that, what's the best way for them to contact you? Well, we're going to go to the to the Boston Seafood Show, and I think that, that, you know, that that's the easiest way. I'm going to go to the Boston Seafood Show. I'm excited. My wife and I go. Uh, we love Boston. Haven't been in a couple of years, so 
Uh, I'm excited to go back and uh, see old customers, uh, see new ones. I, I like talking about Ozone, even if people aren't interested or aren't uh, <laughs> a customer of ours or want to be a customer of ours. Um, there are people that have Ozone that maybe they're struggling with it. We can give them you know, our two cents because I, and it's crazy to say this, but I've been around the block a long time with Ozone now. Uh, and so that's a, that would be one reason to, to stop by and say hi. I think, um, you know, other than that, you know, we have, we have a website, um, which is, uh, the letter O, the number three, the letter I, so O3ILLC.com. Uh, it's confusing. It's not the best. Maddie, I'm sure you could think of something better than that. Well, we will us. link directly to <laughs> it in the show notes of this episode so people don't have to try to hunt for it. They can remember that. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, or if you Google Ozone International, it's like the second thing that pops up. So Yeah. So so that's always an easy way. Um, I'm I'm easy to get a hold of. I mean, I've, I've had the same cell phone number since high school. So uh, I think that you know, that's an easy one. Uh, I can provide that to you guys if, if, uh, if that's helpful. I don't mind sharing it. I get calls from customers and people from around the world all the time. So uh, not a big deal. Great. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us. Maddie, Justin, do you guys have anything well, else? We, our plan is to be at the Boston Seafood Show as well. So uh, we'll try to try to seek you out and say hi in person if we can. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, be to see definitely. You guys. For sure. Yeah, thanks thank for, you so for much for coming, this. John. This is yeah. really so interesting. It's something that I've never really thought much about. It's just something that happens behind the scenes that you know something should be happening like that and you just kind of trust mm -hmm. it. So it's really interesting to actually hear about the mechanics behind the scenes. So thanks for coming on and sharing. Yeah, we really appreciate it. We appreciate you you guys reaching out to us and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate you guys doing this. Folks, that was our conversation with John Brandt from Ozone International. As always hope you enjoyed it and I hope you learned something like we did. Remember, if you like the show and you want to get every new episode directly delivered onto your device as soon as it's available, make sure you subscribe to Aquademia wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. Do you have a topic idea? Do you want to be a guest or anything in between? Fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. That's right. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye. Thanks again to Steen for sponsoring this episode of Aquademia. Thank <laughs> you.